I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. Hello and welcome to episode number 136 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. How are ya? I don't know if you can hear, but it's a little bit breezy. I'm recording this outside at the moment, so you may get the odd um, passing bird aeroplane or the rustling of the trees that are about 20 metres away. Some of the more observant listeners may have realised that we've missed a week. That's mainly down to the fact that my partner and our son both tested positive for COVID. And unfortunately, while I was in isolation, I couldn't really find the time to edit and produce this podcast. So... That in mind, for the next couple of weeks, I'm probably going to put two episodes out per week just to catch up. And I don't want to give too many clues away as to who they are, but hopefully if I get them edited in time, one is an artist that's opened his own gallery, another is well known for their craft, and is about to step into the art world, very probably using their craft as their subject, and another is a member of a very well-known band whose artwork is just about to go into Selfridges. Although probably 75% of that episode is uh, me and the guests skipping down memory lane, talking about the music of our youth. But we do talk a little bit about visual art. But first off, as ever, hats off to our Patreon supporters, without whom we would not be able to listen to this podcast. And if you'd like to make a small donation, you can go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram page. Over on their Instagram profile, you'll find a Linktree link click on that and then you are directed to the Patreon page. It's as little as £3 a month, which is pretty much a cup of coffee. And if you're not able, no bother whatsoever. This content is free for everyone. But getting back to this week's episode, episode 136. This week I'm speaking to photographer Jonathan Perugia. 
Now in this intro, I'm not going to speak too much about Jonathan or what he does, mainly because he's got such a great manner in telling you his own story. And a lot of his projects are just oozing with empathy and social well-being, you know. And I should add that Jonathan was introduced to me by my friends over at Safeground. And Safeground are an amazing charity that try and keep the relationship bonds really strong between a person and his family once they've entered the prison system. And man, we can all imagine how difficult that is, right? So please, sit back and enjoy this beautiful conversation I had over Zoom with Jonathan Perugia. Hi Jonathan, you okay? You're right. Um, we got put together by Safeground, who is a, a prison arts company, for a project that you've done with them. Could you tell us a little bit about that project, Jonathan, please? Yeah, so basically, um, I've worked with Safeground over for, for many years and uh, documented some of their projects, their programmes in prisons. Um, uh, specifically, they work a lot with drama and creative writing. And, uh, and I'm a relatively new dad. So I was having a chat with uh, Charlotte from Safeground and just talking about uh, really wanting to do a project about masculinity and fatherhood. And lights went off in her eyes and yeah. she came back to me and said, well, I've managed to get a bit of funding to do something with some of our alumni. So they chose three men who have been through their program, Fathers Inside, to, um, to participate in this. And what we did basically was firstly a kind of storytelling exercise where they wrote we discussed and they wrote their, about their experiences or what fatherhood and masculinity meant to them yeah, or means to them. Um, so as fathers, as sons, um, obviously as prisoners or, or ex-prisoners. Um, and, uh, and then I spent a couple of days, a weekend, or, or in one case, like several um, occasions with them, documenting just telling just telling a very kind of loose story about their lives through photography yeah. um so you know spending time in their in their homes um a little bit in their workplaces some of them um going around parts of you know having a look at some of their pasts um, one of the guys lives very grew up very close to me in hackney um and so then we put what we then we recorded the interviews um and then we put them together as a kind of audio visual piece it's about three minutes they're each about three minutes long um and they tell really quite moving stories about um their experiences and how they've how they've managed to turn their lives around um and <clears throat> specifically how they're attitudes to their own masculinity uh have changed um and through the work that they've done with safe ground where they do a lot of drama and role play and discussions around you know traditional masculinity yeah. and hyper masculinity in prison where they're you know they've they've had to be str strong and mm. not show emotion not show vulnerability uh you know stand up for themselves and how in the context of these workshops and, and also actually in, in, in mostly in most of all, in all their cases, you know, they've been, they've been doing a lot of work with them on themselves over, over many years, yeah. you know, save so this, you know, this project was a kind of catalyst for them. Um, 
and in some cases well in some cases it was pivotal um i guess the point i'm trying to make is just you know it, it wasn't just a, a, a you know a, 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 i don't know it's an eight-week course i think or a four five-week course but in that course they open up and they start to understand what the impact of their sentences and their and their behavior has been on their families on their kids on their own lives um and that kind of emotional process emotional honesty um, well, once is... you once you break the wall of that uh, macho exterior which is generally false then um yeah you start being honest with yourself yeah you can open the door to to all sorts of thought processes i found that myself while i was in there and luckily yeah. for me I wasn't a father when I went in, so mm -hmm. I didn't have that added pressure, you know. So, what was the catalyst for you? Like, what 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 helped you to change your life? Uh, mm -hmm. I got a fourteen year sentence, and I was set up by a drugs gang. So, the thing that hurt me the most was the fact that I got into this position, which I could have easily got myself into any day of my criminal life on my own, but I was set up by a. Uh, another gang I don't like to use the word victim because it, it it just doesn't feel right but because of that I wanted a change I, I wanted to change the course of my life I was reflecting I didn't want the children I hoped to have to be just a, a photocopy of me and you know go through the same life jumping over the same hurdles looking over their shoulder I wanted different I wanted different for my children I mm -hmm. wanted them to have an honest life so they couldn't have it if I was dishonest or led a dishonest life. So um, there, there was no courses in the prison I was in, mm -hmm. um, like like what we were just talking about. Um, so I sort of had to do it myself, you know. And luckily, I, I discovered art at, at that yeah. precise time, which gave yeah. me a new direction. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, Safe Grounds projects, they all involve creative arts in some yeah. way. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the process that we went through together, each, each man, you know, Jason's a poet, Michael's a kind of social entrepreneur, you could call him. Yeah. Um, John is, um, you know, John was working, actually, he was in prison when I spoke, when I, when I um, spent that time with him. Um, but they... Um, yeah, the process that we went through was was quite a sort of um, well, for me, it was an amazing privilege to to kind of be able to tell their stories, to, or yeah. to you know to spend that time with them, to be to be you know for them to open up their story to me. Um, and I think for for both of us, and hopefully for the viewers or you know people who come across the work it's it's quite a vulnerable and um transformative yeah. uh, work um to hear people talk so, well to hear men actually talk so openly and honestly and vulnerably about about their lives i think it's quite special yeah it's a beautiful thing <laughs> yeah and would you have gone down that path of like discovering personalities within prison if it wasn't for safe ground um, and I know, I, I think, you know, the, the, obviously, you know, safe ground is crucial to this in many ways. Um, they run the programs, um, and they have, but chiefly in this, um, in this 
uh, project, you know, they were the bridge between me and the men. Yeah. So, you know, there was a, there's a, there's a there's a level of trust and a relationship that they've built up with with these men over a long time. Yeah. So, from the course, they've then gone on. Some of these men went on to facilitate for safe ground. I think John. I think I'm right in saying at least one or two of them are now trustees at safe ground so they have a long relationship yeah. so you know so i i didn't have to go in there and kind of you know prove myself or anything i, yeah. I already had a you know had a i already had a connection with them um because yeah. you do find most of the time when um individuals or, or companies want to do a project to document prisoners or prison life it is normally more on the um gnarly side of it you know the the exciting stories, the you, you know that that kind of thing, rather than the person themselves, and yeah, uh, and yeah, that those projects like your own really do strike a cold with me. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing, I think you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm just starting another project on fatherhood, um, which is a different kind of thing. But I think for me, it really came the the the, the motivation really came from you know having a son. Yeah. Um, at that time, I think he was two and a half, three, something like that. And thinking, you know, looking at looking at the way you know masculinity is sold to us and sold to young men, and how much, you know, and you know, and just in the last few weeks, you know, we've had the, um, we, we've had a lot of discussion uh, about masculinity and about safety for women, and you know. <clears throat> the i look at my boy and i think well you know how can i support him how can i be a good role model to him and how can i you know what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a good father um and and, and you know i'm i'm exploring that and asking those questions as much as as much as any of the men that i'm i was speaking with you know and and for some of them you know i think I mean, I definitely learned. I definitely learned from them. Um, yeah, it's not just a building full of people from a poor working class background. Sometimes it's just anyone that has made a mistake mm-hmm. and took the wrong route to try to resolve that mistake is what mm-hmm. is what I found while I was in there. Mm-hmm. You know, so anyone's son could end up in that position. Yeah, and I think the pressures on boys and the you know the the kind of i mean it's it's true of girls obviously but in in this context we're talking about boys um but you know the the pressures on them and the the you know porn and video games and the you know the 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 pressure to be a certain way and you know so this the social structures and systems around us that that perpetuate these these stereotypes and behaviors and um attitudes that you know they don't they don't serve anyone yeah um they don't serve men or women um and and in my experience the you know the work i've done you know i'm my my history is that i had a i my dad wasn't around for for a long part of my childhood um and so I've had to do a lot of work over the years 
just you know just to have just to have relationships um you know and to you know to get married and and become a father was a was a, a big journey for me um and so that kind of opening up and self-knowledge and self-exploration that you know that the safe ground work encourages is kind of key to key for me and hope and I think you know I think key for us all actually in in becoming better people which is what we're here for right and the the images you took of um the three subjects yeah um, where have they ended up well so they are at the moment um they're on the safe ground website as um well the the um the audio visual stories are on the safe ground website and we had a, an exhibition planned uh, at the roundhouse for april last year but obviously that was cancelled well, was postponed um and i had an invite to that funnily enough yeah yeah so hopefully um when life gets back to some kind of normal um we'll have the exhibition um and they'll they'll um they'll uh, you know be disseminated wider but but specifically john um the two two of john's images were chosen uh and shortlisted for the portrait of britain uh, and one of them was chosen as one of the hundred winners so they were exhibited um really nice idea actually so they, what they do is they exhibit the winners um on billboards electronic billboards all around the country um and uh they're also in a book called Portrait of Britain, um, which is a, uh, a collaboration with the British Journal of Photography. Um, and it's a beautiful book. Is, is that the only image you've got in there? Uh, I've, so I've got, there's two, there's two images of John, actually. I mean, I think, I mean, I guess you'll be able to, you'll be able to, sh- oh no, you won't be able to show them. Well, maybe we can, I don't know, we can link to them in some way, but um, the winner, the winning image is John in his beekeeping um, outfit. Brilliant. It's brilliant. And uh, and he's and he's standing there looking very serious and slightly like a spaceman um, next to his, <laughs> next, to his, next to his beehive and there's he's got one little bee on his hand uh, looking very serious so it's slightly it's slightly um, humorous um, but I think the better image is the is a picture of him so he's in his garden with his dog carlos the chihuahua uh, and and his daughter pearl has been playing with like flowers so there's petals all over the floor all over the grass and then she's in the background like sort of hanging off a fence looking really gangly <laughs> and gangly and funny and um and and again he's looking really well actually in that one i think he's just because he's covered in tattoos and he's a big uni he's a big guy he's, and, he's bare chested isn't he He's bare, yeah, so he so basically it started with him uh, saying, you know, with one of the things I had, one of the ideas I had was to, to you know, to photograph his tattoos and all yeah. the stories that they represent. Um, and um, so he went and got, you know, just went and got and changed into some shorts and I photographed the tattoos and then he stood up to, you know, for this portrait. And while we were photographing, he, he just put his hand on his heart and, uh, and yeah, the the look of vulnerability, I think, and and just there's so much going on in his face. Uh, yeah, nice. in, in the image, I think, um, 
it's it's really quite moving. Um, and and it was really a moving, really moving time with him. We spent we spent a weekend together um, with his wife and his um, and his daughter Pearl. Well, when when you get to know the people as close as that, that that does sort of come through in a photograph. Funnily enough, doesn't it? You know. Absolutely. Whether it's a photograph, a, a painting, or or whatever, yeah. it always seems to come through that little bit of energy, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, because I've done a lot of work overseas, and what was really special, one of the things that was really special about this was working so closely with, you know, I, I, it's, it's, we started to talk about the, you know, the, the, the already there's that bond of trust because of safe ground, and then. I guess being fellow dads and um, you know just spending just spending a lot of time chit chatting and and getting to know them and because of the work they've done they're really open and honest and yeah. and, and able to you know emotionally articulate. Um, there's another one of the other one of the other guys, Jason, who's a poet, brilliant poet, performance poet, and I spent um, I spent a weekend with him in Stoke, and uh, we just walk around, you know, there'd be like there'd be people left right and center saying well right you know they'd be cut the homeless guys you know in the, nice. in the doorway and they go all right he's a, he's a social worker now um they'd all be saying hello and then we then he did a he did a performance in the evening in a, in a little kind of underground little club nice. and he was he was great um and then we went you know we went to a party with his girlfriend and you know so by the end of it the the, the intimacy that you get from that kind of from those kind of um, experiences that we're shared with that we've shared together is um, is unusual. I think. Well, no, it's not unusual. Actually, it's it's. I think it's it's one of you know it's what what makes documentary photo what makes good documentary photography is you know that connection. Um, well, where you've spent time with him over that weekend, do you think on a professional basis the photograph you might have taken at the start would be different from? the photograph you would have taken oh, that yeah. weekend. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, let, to put this into context, you know, there are there are documentary projects that go on for years, you yeah. know, that are, you know, this is only a weekend. And I, I, ideally, I would I would spend even more time with them and tell, it, tell a longer story about their lives, you know, um, because, you know, things, obviously, things have, lots of things have happened since the, you know, since the end of those stories. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, you know, I mean, you can even see it in the pictures that I took at the beginning of the weekend and at the end, you know, um, that, uh, you know, things changed and we got to know each other. <clears throat> well, what we will do on here is, as we've already discussed, we will have John on here at a later date. Yeah. Um, just to sort of... Um, tell us his his view of the story of yeah meeting you being part of the project and and ended up in portrait of britain yeah the unfortunately the only i never i like i went round and, and couldn't find um i couldn't find a billboard showing the picture of john but my my niece found saw it in reading station and, and so she has got like a very blurry excellent. eye excellent um you know uh in on a billboard in reading station um but yeah and what was his reaction to to to, to well, being in that book and and winning the prize or or being part of the, the yeah prize? to be honest you know i haven't actually managed to speak to him um about this directly um so i think he's you know he, he's the person to ask about that excellent and i will do 
Well, I mean, actually, one of the questions I'd like to ask you, if that's all right, is, you know, how is how your experiences um, in prison and of your life before, you know, before before you came out of prison, how that has affected you as a father um, and how you have you got how many kids have you got? Two. One has just turned 17. Right. uh, This week. Yeah. is 14. Boys or girls? Uh, eldest is boy, youngest is girl. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, just like interested in, you know, how you, how you, how you are as a role model, um, how you, you know, what you've learned from your life before, before going into prison and coming out and, and also your journey as a dad and how that's, how you've grown uh, as a man. Well, my whole childhood, I was getting in trouble. I enjoyed the trouble, which obviously led to prison sentences. Once that trouble I seeked grew and grew, you know. Um, and as I, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to change while I was in prison. Um, when I come out, I had done a degree and then my partner fell pregnant just at the end of, of my degree. I was terrified that it was a genetic thing, you know, that, that crime was genetic because my, my dad was was on the wrong side of the law most of the time. And I I was living up on the, I was growing up in the same borough um, with my children as what I did when I was a child. Um, and knowing full well that on, on our estate and in our borough, there's, you know, it's easy to get on the wrong side of the track. So I was terrified in, that caused me to be overly strict on my son. And I never give him much room to be himself, if you know what I mean. I was constantly pulling him back because um, I was so scared that that something might happen because I don't know what turned me into a criminal because my brother isn't. And we grew up in the same house, obviously on the same estate. We had the same everything. And my brother's yeah. as straight as a die and I'm not. So I, I have no idea what made me into a criminal. So what I figured was everything my son done, which was similar to me as a child, I pulled him back when I when I thought he was doing similar, okay. you know, when he was being a little boy and like running through people's front gardens, which is just being a pain in the ass, really, rather than being a an apprentice criminal, you know. But when I saw him doing that, I was like, no, you can't do that. That's not right. And I was too strict. But my boy is now a good lad so whatever I'd done hopefully it it hasn't hurt him because I wasn't you know violent or yeah yeah overly aggressive with him I just pulled the reins a little too hard but I was scared and I've I've apologized to him since and he said that it's fine you know hopefully he won't hate me as an adult (laughs) (laughs) okay so this is a question that came up for me in the playground the other day like how do you uh when you know if he's got in, has he got into fights? Presumably, he has, right? Um, no, not really. Oh, okay, I think it like him and his him and his mate had a falling out. His mate hit him and he hit him back, but that was about it, you know. So how? So did you did you teach him about? But how did you, how did you teach him about violence? Did you teach him about fighting? No, I took him to karate at an early age, uh-huh. and well, knowing full well that karate or boxing or any of those things could. Or, or give you a different uh, a view on violence because once you've got the confidence to defend yourself, yeah, that confidence is so helpful. 
Right. And we've because most most of the time bullies show show their strength, and if yeah. you show you're not afraid of their strength, that's you know seventy five percent of the bully has just disintegrated. You know. Okay. okay. So I wanted to try to give him that. Not that that ever was needed, but yeah. um, I installed that in him, and I didn't tell him about my past until he was about. I think it might have been until he was about 10 when he was knocking about with two kids who I knew they were nice lads, but I knew that they, they were quite adventurous, should we say. And um, at one point they was, we, we've got a, um, a, a complex around here, like an old people's home, you know, or, or whatever you'd call them now. Mm-hmm. And they was climbed over a tree and got in the, the back garden area of that and got chased out. The other two lads thought it was funny. My boy was scared and didn't want to play with them anymore, which was good for me. And it was at that point when I said, um, I once got involved with some people who wanted to get in trouble when I didn't. And then I told them that, you know, by me messing about with these people, they'd done something which I ended up in prison. And then they said, what was that? But then I introduced them to the consequences of going down that road. You know, obviously mine was far more... Um, dramatic than climbing up a tree and playing innocently in a yeah, yeah, yeah. garden, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. So, how old was he when he? How old was he when he started doing karate? In this one, there was an age that, that you could start. Okay. I think it was five or something. You know, grow, growing up in that sort of area, if someone sort of comes at you um, and having the confidence to stand up to anyone, that is a, a really a really good thing or knowing what to do in them circumstances sometimes yeah. the um, best method is to turn around and run away that's that that is the best me- best method but as you can say see by the picture in front of you i'm not built for running away <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so i um yeah unfortunately i took the unwise decision to sort of learn to fight you know okay that's interesting um Maybe there's something about the process. Let me think about, um, I think we, we covered it really, but that sort of, you know, that intimacy that develops, th- you know, through building a relationship with somebody and then actually in the process of, of making the photographs and kind of, you know, rootling around in someone's house and finding a card, you know, like there's a Father's Day card on with the with it's it says uh well the thing with what you're what you're just about to say there yeah i'll ask this these three guys obviously weren't just a subject mm-hmm. but until you get invited into their home and then you're pretty much invited to do what you wouldn't normally be allowed to do when you go in someone's home is question what they've got about their house yeah um, because you wouldn't normally go into someone's house and go oh tell me about that ornament over there or this i know which yeah. you was obviously allowed to do because you wanted um, information for your story. So how did that go down with the guys? Well, you know, I mean, one of the things I love about being a photographer is being in, you know, is is being invited into all kinds of random, amazing situations um, and, and having that license to, you know, to rootle around and yeah. be a bit nosy, you know. Um, and because I think because they knew that, from you know that my motivation was really about helping them tell their story, yeah, um, and that you know ultimately I wouldn't <clears throat> I wouldn't um, 
you know, I wouldn't say anything that they didn't want me to say. And that, yeah. they, you know, if they weren't happy with anything that I wrote, or, I mean, actually they wrote their own stories. So it's there, it's all their words and just my pictures that go along with it. Um, but, but, you know, but quite often these, these, um, you know, there would be, there would be items or photographs that sparked a story. So one of the, so there's, there's an amazing picture of Michael on, um, on his wall. And it's a picture of him and his five, four siblings. And he's just looking, he's just, he's just not really there. And he said that from just from, from as long as he could remember, he felt like an outsider. And, um, you know, and, and like, like you said about your, um, about your brother, you know, he's, he, his, his four siblings have, you know, gone, they've had a straight life and they've, you know, they, some of them are civil servants, whatever they've done. <clears throat> they've all done well for themselves and you know he was dealing out of his mum's bedroom when he was 11 and yeah, yeah. you know and running with running with the gangs and gangs in hackney um <clears throat> so yeah so that so that story came from came from me you know talking about and, and also i mean you know his 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 parents came over on the windrush there's a picture of windrush on the wall there's a picture of their wedding um you know there's a picture of all his relatives you know there's there's so much cultural history there um that kind of you know you know these aren't these 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 men's stories they're not their own story just their own stories but they're stories of 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 history of you know of, of immigration of of systemic racism of um of class uh and um and it, it does i mean all what you've said there it does make you wonder how four of his siblings ended up being honest not yeah. him not the one being dishonest yeah because you know when you've got all these disadvantages thrown at you from every direction yeah you know it's so hard to keep on the on the right track you know and and grow up to be what society sees as a decent law-abiding citizen yeah. you know yeah i mean i think that one you know, particularly with Michael, actually, the the power of redemption and of you know, like, and I'm sure you've you've probably found the same thing, but of being of changing your life. You know, he's changed his life so dramatically, um, and the relationships that he is building with his, you know, because he has a, his son is actually in prison because um, he wasn't there for his you know he was he was he was inside for a lot of his son's childhood and he was unable to connect with them and you know and but as you know i guess in the last 5 years the 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 work that he does every day to show up and be and be part of his children and his grandchildren and his mum's life yeah. you know his mum lives around the corner and he's there every sunday and um you can see, yeah. I mean, you can see in the pictures where, when if you look at the the slideshow, you can see the pictures of him as a young man, and um, you can you can just see it in his mum in those pictures what she must have been going through to yeah. see her son just slipping away from her, yeah. and what it means to her now for her for him to be back and for him to be, you know, a family role model, a community role model, and yeah. and to to you know, to, to be playing such a important role in his, in his family now. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, like you're saying, saying being a, um, a, a, a positive member of society, it, it, it's a shame almost that it's all of those years of, 
of wrongdoing, hard luck, and you know, yeah. battling has has made it come at this stage yeah. of his life. You know, yeah. it's a shame it couldn't have just been noticed and captured at such a young age to give yeah. people that sort of piece of. But then, but then I think you know, like the 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 work that he does. So he's um, he he basically runs. Um, I don't know if you call them halfway houses, but, but sheltered accommodation. Yeah, yeah. Right. Supported supported accommodations for people who are coming out of prison with drug and alcohol problems. Excellent. And and he works, you know, he does work with Safe Ground. He he does mentorship, you know, and, and the experiences he has give him well, give him credibility, but also give him something, you know, he has something really valuable to offer um, his community. Um, because of his experiences and because of the work that he's done in to come up, to overcome his demons. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, we all have, we all have our journey, don't we? And we all. Well, what you do find or what I've found is like, I, I go into prisons, you know, obviously pre COVID, I went into prisons to do um, art workshops, portrait workshops. Yeah. And the first hurdle you've got to step over is being accepted by the guy's, that you're about to um, to work with, because yeah. most of the times, you know, they're, they're all suspicious guys and wondering what my motivation is to be yeah. there, because yeah. no one likes the do-gooder who's trying to do it for their own CV, if you like. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't go down well at all. It's easier to help someone in that position if they yeah. are well aware that you've been in that position also, you know. Precisely, exactly, yeah. Um we all go on a journey of you know of growth and you know for some for some people it's a it involves more more downfall than others um i think the powerful thing about these stories is that and and yours is that we we have the ability to change we have the ability to grow that you know it's never too late um that that you know <clears throat> love self-love is is a is extremely powerful brilliant what a perfect end yeah uh, way to end the podcast yeah, um jonathan how can people see more of your work be it website or social media so i'm on instagram as jonathan perugia and so um so guy visual is my company and we tell uh, solution focused stories about environmental and social change beautiful that Excellent. was great thank you mate yeah Thank you. There you go. How was that, Jonathan Perugia and his work? Didn't I tell you it was going to be an interesting episode? So after this episode is finished, go and take a look at what more work he does and the work of Safe Ground. And I'm I'm trying to finish off a bit lively because there's some grey clouds coming over, and I'm sure I just felt a few spots of rain on me arm. So as I said in the intro, we're probably going to have two. Ep- oh fuck! 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 <laughs> so as you may have gathered there, it, start, it started raining and I had to dart indoors. Right, well this is the first time I've ever finished off a podcast with a mic in my hand and running. Anyway, until next week, ta Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon, leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. 
or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Anything is appreciated, but either way, thanks for listening and until next week, ta-da. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.